Now we're going to turn this morning to the book of Jeremiah. Our Bible reading is Jeremiah chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 19 to the end. It'll come up on the screen for those that are watching online. But if you have your own copy of the scriptures, then we will be able to um, follow the reading. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 5. We'll read from verse 19. Jeremiah, of course, is one of the the major prophets. You've got Jeremiah, you've got Isaiah, you've got Ezekiel. Jeremiah, remember, was before the captivity. He went into to Babylon with the rest. Ezekiel followed him. And Isaiah was before that prophesying similar th- things. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 19. And it shall come to pass when ye shall say, Wherefore doth the Lord our God all these things to us? Then shalt thou answer them, Like as ye have forsaken me, and served strange gods in your land, so shall ye serve strangers in a land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob, and publish it in Judah, saying, Now hear this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord? Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? Though they roar, Yet can they not pass over it. But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God, that giveth rain both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that setteth snares. They set a trap. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore they are become great and waxen rich. They are waxen fat, they shine. Yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper. And the right of the needy do they not judge. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord, 
Shall not my soul be avenged in this, on such a nation as this? A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from Jeremiah at chapter 5, at verse 23 and 24. It reads as follows. But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, that giveth rain both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. And my theme today is entitled, The Call of the Harvest Time. Now I've told you before that there's 53 references in the Bible to the word harvest. The first, of course, is in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. That is God's promise of the harvest. The last reference is found in the book of Revelation. It says in Revelation chapter 14, verse 15, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So there's the final harvest. So at the start of Genesis 8, 22, we've got the promise of the harvest. And then in Revelation 14 and 15, you've got the final harvest. And in between these, uh, there are 51 other references that refer to the harvest. And over the years, we have preached in many of these a particular texts of Scripture. Now, Jeremiah 5.24 is one such reference. Look at the end of the reference. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Remember the truth that God has appointed a harvest season. From the beginning of time to the end of time, there will always be a harvest. Might be a bad harvest, could be a blighted harvest, it could be a bumper harvest, but there'll always be a harvest. Why, young people, will there always be a harvest on the earth? Here's the answer God's promise, Genesis 8 and 22. But not only discover and rediscover this morning the truth about the harvest, that there'll always be a harvest, but I want you to think of the time of the harvest. You see, the month of October in the United Kingdom, and maybe in the Western world, could also be true in the United States of America, is known as harvest month or, or harvest time. It's that time of the year of the ingathering of the precious fruits of the earth. And in the land of Israel, God had also appointed the time for the gathering in of the harvest. It was known as the appointed weeks of the harvest. Uh, over there in the book of Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 23, and in the verse uh, 15, uh, God had said this uh, through Moses to his own uh, uh, 
uh, people. He uh, told them there, um, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. You see, the harvest and gathering in the land of Israel was reckoned by weeks because of the seven weeks between the Passover and Pentecost. The barley harvest began at Passover, which corresponded to our April time, and also then the wheat harvest was gathered in at Pentecost, which corresponded to our October month and was better known to this day as the Feast of Weeks. And on the Feast of Weeks, we were actually in the land of Israel last year. So here's an appointed truth. There'll always be a harvest. You remember that. And here's the appointed time. And the appointed truth and the appointed time were carefully and fully performed by the Lord himself. Now there's something else I want you to think about this morning. Not only the truth about the harvest and the time of the harvest, but I want you to think of this, the teaching of the harvest. Do you know this morning that the harvest has a voice? And I want you to think about what lessons we can learn, if any, about the harvest time. See, the harvest time, of course, is the most wonderful time of the year. It's a time of ingathering, a, a time when we bring in the precious crops of the field, the wheat, the barley, uh, the potatoes, the carrots, the cabbages. At this time, we think of the trees that are laden with fruit, um, mostly apple uh, trees in, in our country. We can think about the spectacular colors. We, we can think about the, the turning of the leaves uh, beginning to go from green to brown. We, we can think about the blade of grass uh, being, being cut down in the field. We, we could think about even the barren tree. We, we could think about the rose in the garden. See, all of these things that I've mentioned this morning, I've told you this before, umpteen times, whenever they're properly interpreted in the light of Scripture, that is when they're lifted up into the highest spiritual realm. What can I learn from a blade of grass? What can I learn from a potato in the field? What, what, what can I learn from a carrot? What, what, what can I learn from a rose? When they're lifted up into the highest spiritual realm, I believe that they yield a treasure trove of spiritual truth for our hearts from our God. You see, when I read Jeremiah 5, looking again through these 53 references in the Bible to the word harvest, I discovered that God is speaking here. And God is acting in the role of a teacher. He is addressing his ancient people. And sadly and regrettably, he has a controversy with them. He has spoken to them in verse 22, explaining his power and greatness by reminding them that he controls the sea. And he says to them, you stand at the seashore. And listen to what he says. Will you not tremble at my presence which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. But in contrast, his people have revolted and rebelled against him. 
and that by his mighty power he instructs the sea to stop at the seashore. But even though he's instructed his people, they have still revolted and rebelled against him. But then he adds another picture. He reminds them that he controls the soil. Because in verse 24, he is speaking of his providence and his provision. He's speaking of his goodness. And yet this people, despite that goodness, despite the presence of a harvest, despite the time of appointed weeks, they're not learning from him because they have such revolted and rebellious hearts. They don't tremble in his presence. Neither do they say in their heart, even despite the harvest, let us fear the Lord. Here's what they're not saying. Yet all the while, in light of his provision, in light of his goodness, he still calls out to them, at the children of men. And, and he calls again. Here's the point. Especially in the harvest time, he's calling them to turn to him, to listen to his voice. Now, I believe this morning that each year as we celebrate another harvest, while we rejoice in its truth, and thank the Lord for the time of ingathering. Let's remember that the harvest has a voice. The harvest is speaking to us. It's telling us something. It is teaching us something. And what is it saying to us? It's saying to us, fear the Lord. It's telling us to get right with God. It's telling us, to repent and receive him as the Lord our God into our hearts and into our lives. See, everything this morning connected with the harvest has a voice. The voice of God to our soul. And here's the point. Are we listening? Are we learning? Are we going to hear in a manner that we take heed to that voice and obey that voice? I want you to think of three things this morning. I want you to hear the call to remember in the harvest time. If you look at the text, it says, He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of harvest. And what do we remember in the harvest time? Well, we remember this, the provision of the harvest. If you think of the words here, um, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter rain, in his season. You see, we're instructed in John 4 and 35, Say not in your heart, yet four months then cometh harvest. Look unto the fields now, for they're white already unto harvest. Look to the fields. Look, look at the precious fruit of the earth. Look at the grain that's ripened. Look, look at the crops that are ready for reaping. Look at the large variety of produce. Look at all the things that God has given. And they're all evidence of what? The Lord's goodness and gifts to us, the children of men. And as I've said, there's always been a harvest. And here's another year of blessing for the United Kingdom. For, for the time of ingathering has come. The harvest time is here. And what applies to the United Kingdom applies to the United States. In fact, it applies to the Western world. Can we not thank God that we're living in a land of fullness and plenty? We're not living in a land that is facing famine conditions. 
We do acknowledge that some lands experience severe drought. Some inhabitants of the world face famine-like conditions. They may have years of bad harvest or years of a blight harvest. And, and people are hungry and there's disease and death. But not so in the United Kingdom. Not so in Northern Ireland. And it wasn't so in the land of Israel. Not just a day or a few days, but he mentions here, he has reserved unto us the appointed weeks of harvest. The prosperity was so good that it's taken weeks to gather in the barley harvest and gather in the wheat harvest and gather in the other produce, whether it's the, the, the grape or the fig or the vine. See, the harvest has been prosperous. Another year of provision by our God. We haven't heard in the news of any reports that crops have failed and there have been shortages in this and that. And for that, let's remember the provision of the harvest. Let's thank the Lord. I've been speaking on Wednesday night on giving thanks always for all things to God and our Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 5 and uh, 20. And I was thinking of Psalm uh, 103, where it says, Be thankful unto him and bless his name. I wonder, do we thank the Lord for our daily food? Or about to eat, breakfast, lunch, evening meal? Do, do we bow our heads and say, Thank you, Lord, for this provision? Do, do we thank the Lord even for the farmers and all the hard work and the effort? that goes into um, producing the precious crops of the earth, for they have a duty and responsibility. Do, do we thank the Lord ultimately that as we are singing, all good gifts around us have come from heaven above, then thank the Lord. Do, do we thank the Lord, young people? Boys and girls, think of the provision of the harvest. Very quickly, think about the providence of the harvest. You see, the harvest just doesn't happen automatically. There is such a principle at work called the law of the harvest, and you're well acquainted with what you sow, you reap. If you sow potatoes, you, you'll reap uh, potatoes. You, you sow one, then you, you, you'll reap uh, many uh, from that one. You, you'll, you'll sow a, a, an ear of corn, and you, you'll reap a, a stalk of corn. Remember, every farmer has a duty and responsibility to prepare his field. He has to plough the field. He has to rotivate the field. He, he tills the field. He sows the seed. And then what does God do after that is done? Well, 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 well the Lord sends the rain. And that's what Jeremiah is mentioning here, the early rain, the, 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 the latter rain. And God not only sends the rain, but he causes the sun to shine. And it's all seasonable. It's all timely. It's all under his control, the different parts of the earth. What I'm saying is this morning that the harvest doesn't come about by chance. It's not by accident. God is at work to a master plan. See this word appointed? Appointed. Weeks of the harvest. That, that means set aside. Young people, that, that means reserved. Who sets it aside? Who uh, reserves it? Well, well, God does. In other words, he has caused it to happen. He, he, he brings it to pass. And Jeremiah's point is this, don't forget him. 
Jeremiah's point is this, don't forsake the Lord. As I've said already, when you're eating your food, you're tucking into your potatoes and vegetables and um, roast beef today. Just remember the provision that you're eating from the plate. Not only has been given to you by your mummy, but it's tied into God's, not only provision, but God's providence towards you. Remember where our food come from. See, I believe this morning that the very presence of a harvest time is a proof that God is. The harvest hasn't come about by accident. It's not by chance, not by fate, not by karma. It didn't just happen. No, God appointed it. God caused it to happen. He sent the rain. He caused the sun to shine. He reserveth the time and the season. In other words, God is active. Now, that's very important that you understand that. God is present. He's all-powerful. He's all-seeing. And he's all-knowing. The harvest is of God. God is always at work in the harvest. The harvest is an evident token of his goodness to the children of men. If you turn over there to the book of uh, Matthew, um, uh, Matthew chapter 5 and look with me at verse uh, 45 uh, here's the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and th- th- this is what he said in Matthew 5 and verse 45 that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh his son to rise in the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And if we link that up this morning with um, uh, Psalm uh, 104, uh, Psalm 104 uh, teaches us this. Uh, we read there uh, a tremendous truth that what the Lord is, is doing amongst us. Psalm 104 and verses 13 and, and 14, we read there, He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. There's many other things that we could say in relation to that. He gives the rain from heaven. It's all about what he has done. He is the ultimate source of the harvest. In fact, he's called in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, the Lord of the harvest. He gives us rain from heaven so we can enjoy fruitful seasons. Surely we could say, well, there's no harvest without rain and without the sunshine. The the farmer could sow the seed. The seed could go into the ground, but if there's no rain to water it uh, and no uh, sunshine to cause it grow, then the time of growth would be stunted. But, but when the rain comes and falls on the soil and waters the seed, the seed begins to grow. And then after it's grown, there's a more rain. And, and then after that, there's more and one leads to the other until it is ripe enough for the time of harvest. And what I'm saying this morning, it's all provided by the Lord. It's all connected to his providential dealing with us. Oh, that we could remember this this morning, that God controls all things. Jeremiah said this, God controls the sea but he also controls the soil. See, the Lord of the harvest, he operates the laws of the harvest. And you know that God is at work this morning, even in the storms, 
the whirlwinds, the tsunamis, even in the famine-like conditions of countries where the harvest is very bad and blighted. God is at work. God controls all things, even the weather. And maybe you're thinking this morning, well, in a famine situation, we've never experienced famine conditions in the United Kingdom. And people that suffer a bad harvest or a blighted harvest, they, they must be bigger and worse sinners than we are. Well, the answer to that question is no. People that suffer a bad harvest or a blighted harvest are no greater sinners than other sinners. See, even in that, God is at work. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And as I've already said, God's providence always has a voice. He never leaves himself without a witness. Do you know the sun in the sky is, has a voice? The moon at night has a voice. The stars in the sky has a voice. Every created thing, I believe, is preaching a silent sermon to our hearts. Isn't that what uh, the psalmist said? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day on the day utter his speech, and night on the night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Even the rod of judgment has a voice. The Bible says, hear the rod, and who hath appointed it? You see, God has appointed it. God is at work, even in the rod of judgment. Do you know God is merciful? God is gracious. God is faithful. God is holy. But God is active. He's always present. He's always at work. We're not deists. God is good and kind and gracious and holy and just and true. And we should remember that. And could I add this little bit? Remember sin pays wages. And all sin will result in the judgment of God. For the scripture says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God will hold every sinner to account. And that's what he's doing here through Jeremiah. In fact, he's going further, for it's not just individual sins that's going to bring the judgment of God individually into the life, but Jeremiah is speaking to the children of Judah. He's addressing the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And, and, and we're being introduced to, to, to why they're not saying uh, to their hearts to fear the Lord in light of his goodness uh, and, and in light of his gifts. Even though there's plenty of evidence, the harvest, God has opened his hand. God has, has blessed them from his heart. And yet this nation, this nation has gone headlong into sin. And what Jeremiah is basically teaching here, that national sins will bring national judgment of God into the land. And that's exactly what happened to Judah. And that's what happened in the life of Jerusalem. And I'm not saying there's a parallel here with the United Kingdom or United States of America, but that's a principle. God controls all things. God is at work even in a famine-like situation, a storm, a whirlwind. God's providence always has a voice. God is good and kind and gracious. He's always at work. But sin pays wages for the individual who sins against them, and for the nation that sins against them. National judgments will result in the uh, uh, national judgment of God. And there's the call to remember in the harvest time. God's provision and God's providence. Could I say secondly and very quickly, 
It's also a call to repent in the harvest time. If you look again at our text, it says there in Jeremiah chapter 5 and in the verse 24, he said this, Neither say they in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth. See, they were conscious of God's giving. They knew God's gifts. They could testify God has been good to us individually and good to our nation. But notice, neither say there in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth. See, this was God speaking. He was saying, this is what they are saying in their hearts. Why? Well, connected up with verse 23. But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. See, it's clear from the context that God has a controversy with his ancient people. He is speaking uh, to them and he's asking them a few questions. Why do you not tremble in my presence if I control the sea? Why do you not say, let us fear the Lord if I have given you all these gifts and displayed my goodness to you? Well, why not say, let's get right with him? Why not say, let's love the Lord? Let's reverence him. Let's take him seriously. Why not say, let's fill our hearts and minds with him? See, he's calling these individuals and calling the nation not only to personal reflection, to, to, to remember, but he's calling them to repent. He is calling them to love him, to live for him, to be loyal to him. The harvest is evident token of the Lord's goodness to them. And yet they did not know that the goodness of God was leading them to repentance. Isn't that what Paul took up in Romans chapter 2? He says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? Romans 2 verse 4. And forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He's saying to them, let the harvest lead you to hear me. Let the harvest lead you to hate me. Let the harvest lead you to get right with me. As part of this controversy, the Lord is saying here, I'm going to judge this people individually. I'm going to judge this nation with a national judgment and the national judgment will be I'll send them to Babylon I'll make them slaves in a land that's not theirs and as I've already said and this is important national sins will bring national judgment and sin will always result if it's unrepented of will result in God's sentence eventually falling I was thinking very quickly here of how depraved and defiant and disrespectful the children of Judah were. I, I was listing this morning again the uh, sins that the children of Judah uh, were, were, were guilty of. Uh, could, could I just suggest to you, and I, I don't want to read through the passage, Jeremiah 5 and 1, they were guilty of the sin of godlessness. There was not one good godly man found in the whole of Jerusalem. Not one man seeking truth and justice and judgment. It seemed as if the good men had perished out of the city. It seemed as if what the psalmist had said, the godly man seeth us. 
And yet, notice how merciful God is. God is saying, if you can find, Jeremiah, one good godly man in that city of Jerusalem, I'll spare the city. One man that's true to the blood in the book, one man that's faithful to me, I will spare and save the city. Sin of godlessness. Just leaving God out. For forgetting about him. Forsaking him. And isn't that what's happening today in we Northern Ireland? Think of the sin of hypocrisy. Verse 2. And though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. They were play acting. They had revolting and rebellious hearts before the Lord. In other words, their heart wasn't right. They were saying things with their mouth, the Lord liveth, but they were swearing falsely. Remember what the Lord Jesus said again in Matthew chapter 15, and I believe it's in verse um, 7 and 8, and he uh, made this statement uh, in Matthew 15, 7 and 8. Listen to these words. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. For in, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of man. There was not only the sin of hypocrisy, but the, the, the sin of stubbornness. They, they refused to receive instruction, no matter how good was. He says, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? But thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. And you think even if this coronavirus that's come into Northern Ireland, in fact, affected the whole world, has it caused men to grieve? Has it caused men to repent? Caused men to think? Caused men to get right with the Lord? Caused men to think, you know, I better go to church today. I, I need to start thinking about God. Absolutely not. You see, there's a spirit of anarchy. Men are doing that which is right in their own eyes. They know there's a God. And they know that sin pays wages. And they know there's a judgment to come. But they sin all the harder. And that's the point there. There's also the sin of covetousness. Chapter 5, verses 4 to 6. You can read it there. It's true in the poor. It's true among the rich. Those that say, well, they lack a basic education. Those that say they need social assistance. And the great men, the men of understanding, the rich men of the city, none of them are listening. Neither the poor nor the rich. You've got the sin of idolatry in verse 7. An idol is anything that takes the place of the Lord. It could be Sunday sport. It could be shopping. It could be making money. It could be work. Anything that is between you and the Lord, that causes you to neglect the Lord and not love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind strength, that, that's an idol. There's the sin of idolatry, adultery here, spiritual adultery from God, and literal adultery. The men were behaving like brute beasts, baying after their neighbor's wife. It seemed as if they're, and you'll read that there in, in verse 7 and 8. It seemed as if there was a public celebration of sin. I'm sure coupled with that adultery was probably drunkenness. Do you know that one of the most, well, there's seven most sinful destinations in the world. You can Google it. I'll not give you the list, but the third one is New Orleans. Doesn't the Bible say fools make a mock of sin? Imagine wanting to go on holiday to the most sinful destination in the world. And you're making a choice. See, it's just a public celebration of sin. That's what's going on in Judah. 
It was the sin of defiance. Even though the Lord seen, they didn't care. Even though the Lord was uh, taking a record, they were saying, the Lord will not bother us. He's a God of love. He's a good God. He wants us to be happy. We're not going to be destroyed. We're not going to be judged. We're not going to die. We're not going to go into captivity. This thing about Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, it isn't going to happen. Sin of defiance. There's a sin of disrespect. God said to them, and you can see it there in verse 22, made abundantly clear. He tells them, in chapter 5 and verse 22, Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence? They didn't say, let us fear the Lord. God is saying, you should fear me. You should tremble at my presence. If I control the sea and control the soil, then you should. But they were so disrespectful. They were guilty of the sins of violence, verses 26 to 28. Theft and murder accompanied that violence. There was a sin of false religion. Isn't it, isn't it a paragram of, of what's happening in the United Kingdom, United States of America today? The sin of godlessness, hypocrisy, stubbornness, covetousness, idolatry, adultery, defiance, disrespect, violence, false religion. It's all here. There's nothing new under the sun. And God is calling them to repent in the harvest time and get right with him. They had no regard for his goodness or his gifts. And is there not a lesson here for us? How good God has been to us. And what has the goodness of God been designed to do? To lead you to repentance. To lead you to get right with the Lord. To, to, to stop your sinning and be in a right relationship with him. Very quickly, and our time is gone, it's also a call to reconsider in the time of harvest. Not just a call to remember and a call to repent, but it's a, it's a call to reconsider in the harvest time. You see, what was their response to this voice of the harvest? To what God was saying. He's appealed to their conscience. He's saying look into your hearts. He's asking for their consideration. If there's a, a day of judgment is coming. Then how do you respond to that? How will you answer? Remember the Bible teaches us here in the book of um, Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. It tells us very very clearly. Hebrews 9 and 27. And as is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You need to make sure you're in Christ. You need to make sure that you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, because that will be the only answer on that day when you're taken from this scene of time and you're brought into the presence of the Lord. You need to consider your ways and examine your heart and ask yourself, am I devoted to him and his cause? Or am I detracted from him and his cause? I don't have any gratitude. I don't have any thanksgiving in my heart. I don't fear him. I, I don't worship in him and walk in his ways. In other words, I'm not seeking him. My response is negative. And that's what was happening in Judah. And he was asking them to reconsider. Why are you not saying this? Let us fear the Lord. Could I speak a moment to the backslider? The hymn writer said, Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? Could, could, could I encourage you this morning to reconsider your ways? 
to get right with the Lord. Where are you at spiritually? Not only to the sinner, but to the backslider. Could I address the believer? There's a call to reconsider in the harvest time. See, some people might view these words as being harsh and difficult. But these are the Lord's words. God is speaking here. These are not my words. In light of a full, bountiful harvest, in God's goodness and gifts, men are turning against the Lord. And isn't that true today? Don't we live in an age of unthankfulness? Isn't that a mark of the last times, perilous times, a godless age? Unthankful of God and his kindness and goodness to him. Ignoring him. Indifferent to him from whom all blessings have come. Indignant against him. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Receiving all the blessings of life and yet turning against him. We have the gospel. We have tasted of God's goodness and grace. We have rejoiced in the kindness of God. Our eyes have been opened because we have rejoiced in one who is sent from heaven. I think of the rain here that waters the earth. The rain's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And, and we can have glad and thankful hearts that the Spirit has come. And, and, and God who has sent the rain has sent the Redeemer. And our eyes have been opened to him. And he came from heaven like a, like a seed. And one day he was born. One day he died. One day he arose. And what's our response to him in this humanistic, hedonistic, atheistic, materialistic age? What is the most important things that matter? Is listening to him. Learning from him. So that we could love him and serve him and worship him. This is a call to remember call to repent but also a call to reconsider what is your response to the harvest time may the lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you today